so I'm picking up from where Jim left off. Uh, he did effectual prayer basics last week. And so I will be talking to you tonight about keys of the kingdom. And um, I have gleaned a lot of this through the years and through different people and my own Bible study. So um, this has come from a conglomeration of things. And um, so this is just not all me. So just so you know that I, I, I had to pull from a lot of places to put all this together. So praise the Lord for resources and, and the word of God. So um, we will look mainly in the chapters of 16 through 18 in the book of Matthew tonight. That's, that's where we're going to be focusing. But our main verse is Matthew 16, 19. And it says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And then the other verse I want to take a look at is a couple chapters later, Matthew 18, 18. And it says, truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. It sounds very similar because it is. And Jesus said it twice. So let's pray for a minute. So Father, we thank you, Lord God, for who you are. Just like we sang tonight, we thank you for your word. We thank you, Father, that your word is infallible. And I pray, Father, that you would bless the word of God tonight. And that you would anoint our ears to hear what we need to hear. And that you would... Help our hearts to receive what needs to be received in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so my husband Jim talked about how to pray. And it isn't just in the Lord's Prayer, though, even though he covered that. Jesus taught us throughout the Bible, throughout his life. And so the Holy Spirit continues to teach us how to pray even today, even now, as, as long as we're listening, he will help us tweak things and learn how to pray more effectively as we read the Word of God. So in order to have prayers that agree with heaven, which is the title of this whole series, um, knowing how to use the keys of the kingdom are very important. So Matthew 16, 19, the one we read earlier, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven um, is the key. But before we get to that, I just want to give you a little background of what happens before Jesus says this in order to know why Jesus is giving the keys of the kingdom to us. So, if we back up a few verses, um, this verse comes at a time when Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he asks the question, who do you say I am? This is in Matthew 16, 15 and 16. And he says, who do you say that I am? And Peter answered him, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. So Jesus responds to him and says, Peter, that is right. In Matthew 16, 18, I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. 
So Peter gets a revelation from God in this moment, and he says, you are the Christ. Now, you have to understand that when he uses the word Christ, this is the Greek term for Messiah. So he is actually saying, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. Peter spoke this truth out in faith. So here is an example of making declarations and then what God does with it. So let's take a look at this. Um, I'm not going to get into it great detail because actually Jane is going to be talking about declarations next week. So um, that will be really awesome. But I just want to point this out so we can see the picture here. So what did Jesus do with the declaration of truth? That's in your notes if you're following along. Jesus took his confession, Peter's confession, and used it to accomplish what Jesus wanted to do in the earth to build his church. So let's take a look at what happened to Peter. Peter makes the de declaration, and in the process, Peter was catapulted to a transformation process by stepping into a new place that he had never been in before. So, what happened to Peter? Let's take another look. He learned what it was to get prompted by the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth, and speak it out. He and all of us are an integral part in building his church. Peter wasn't developed fully at this point, but he had a moment of truth, and he was stepping out into a higher place that God was teaching him about. However, we see just a couple verses later in Matthew 16, 22 and 23, that Jesus was predicting his death. Peter messed up and he said, never, Lord, this shall never happen to you. And so then Jesus says to him, get behind me, Satan. So at one minute he's saying, you are the one I'm going to build the church on. And then the next minute he's saying, get behind me, Satan. So I just look at this and say, this is great hope for me because, I mean, in, in, in just the same instance, you're, you're really good here and then you really mess up over here. And God used Peter tremendously, and that means he can use us. Isn't that awesome? We don't have to be finished and polished and perfect. He can just go ahead and use us and teach us along the way. He's so gracious. All right, so let's go back to Matthew 16, 18. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So, Jesus said he would build his church. This is the Greek word ekklesia. He was talking about a body of people that would legislate spiritually. And this is also in your notes. He would legislate spiritually for him, discipling nations and extending his kingdom rules, ideas, principles throughout the earth. Okay, I'll say that again. He was talking about a body of people that would legislate spiritually for him, discipling nations and extending his kingdom rule, ideals, principles throughout the church. I'm making you work a little bit tonight. I know it's a Wednesday night and we don't usually have fill-ins, but you got lucky. <laughs> okay, so the ecclesia 
is the government of God, that's also a fill-in, in the earth through his church. So it's the government of God active in the earth through his church, which is all of us who believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus is transferring authority, his authority to the ecclesia. Okay, so let's look at Isaiah 9, 6. It's prophesied in Isaiah about the government of God. And we're familiar with this verse, for unto us a child is born and unto us a son is given and the government will be on his shoulders and he will be called wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. It is prophesied in Isaiah that Jesus will come and the government will be on his shoulders. We see Jesus now in Matthew taking the government that is on his shoulders that was given to him when he came to earth and giving the responsibility and authority to his ecclesia, to us as believers. The government of God operates with these characteristics. Wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace, which is why Jesus is called those things, because we are him in the flesh. We have him in us, and these are these characteristics that should be coming out of us. All right, so the next verse, Isaiah 9, 7, continues talking about the government, and it says, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. I love that last line. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. The word zeal here is a Hebrew word, kinah, and it is used only a few times in the Hebrew text, but every time it's used, it's talking about the zeal of the Lord, and it's the, the I'm sorry, every time the zeal of the Lord is used in this phrase, it's an absolute 100% certainty that what is promised will occur. Sometimes the word is used in phrases like with great fury or by consuming fire. But the bottom line is when God says it, it's going to happen. This government was on Jesus' shoulders, but in Matthew 16, he is giving it to the church. And he confirms it again in Matthew 28. And we're familiar with this verse, Matthew 28, 18 and 19. It says that Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go. He's telling them, go. Like, therefore, with all of this authority, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So let's jump back to Matthew 16, 18. 
And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The gates uh, are a place where governmental plans and decisions were made at the gates of a city or whatever. So in this case, he says, so the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So the gates of hell where governmental plans and decisions of hell are made. It's where Satan plans to stop evangelism, where he schemes to deceive Christians, where he helps churches become lukewarm, or encourages false teachers, just to name a few of the little schemes that he does. But Jesus says that the church, the ecclesia, will not be destroyed. And why is that? This is also in your notes. God will always have a remnant of people who believe in him. The fire does not go out. There will always be a remnant of people who believe in him. His ecclesia will demonstrate, this is a fill-in, his ecclesia will demonstrate the kingdom of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. So we, as his people, are being equipped to demonstrate Holy Spirit power against Satan, sin, disease, the world, and the demonic. This is the church that Satan and all the works of the darkness cannot destroy. We are being built and prepared to be a church that will not be overpowered by the strategies of hell. Do you believe it? I believe it. I believe that God is preparing us even now in this day and age to be a church that will not be overpowered by the strategies of hell. He clues us in. We must recognize who we are, though. We are the ecclesia, the kingdom of God, and it is our job to replicate what Jesus did on the earth, and we represent him. This is another fill-in. We represent him by being a prophet, a priest, and a king. And we offer up priestly requests to him. We prophesy to the barren areas, and we release kingly decrees in the earth. All right, so now we finally get to verse 19. Matthew 16, 19, it says, I will give you the king, keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. So now that we know where we stand, previous to this verse, Jesus continues with this verse, and he tells us how to be the ecclesia, his governing body in the earth. He says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth, you'll be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. That's what he's telling us how to do. The keys are what Jesus delegates to his church. The keys symbolize authority. Keys lock and unlock. We all know that. In order to close or open a door. Christ was declaring his church would have spiritual keys that represent authority to lock gates or government of hell, to open gates or the government of heaven. 
We have been given keys to gain access to new times, new seasons, and new eras. So, how do we bind and loose and open and shut? I'm glad you asked. We make decrees out of our mouth. That's how. It's very simple, actually. This is us throwing a decree, throwing the football. The angel catches the football, or the decree, and he assists it by empowering our decree to govern spiritually on the earth and enforces the victory that was done at Calvary. And they make the touchdown. Okay? So let me just clarify, I'm not saying pray to angels to do this for us. Okay? I'm explaining how it works. We can ask God for angelic assistance, but just be clear on that. I'm not saying pray to angels. Okay? Just want to make that clear. Um, these keys that Jesus was referring to symbolize the government of authority of his kingdom to us, we, as his ecclesia, are part of this spiritual kingdom government that is to influence our natural realm. Spiritually speaking, there are really only two kingdoms, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness. Jesus tells us that he has empowered us to be greater than what is in those dark structures. So in this scene realm, we are the supreme authority here. That's hard for us to get. We actually are the supreme authority here. So what you allow, God allows. What you don't allow, God forbids. And what you bind, heaven agrees with. And what you loose, heaven agrees with. That's why we have to watch what we say. And this is a shift in our mentality. This is not easy for us to adjust to sometimes because we don't see ourselves through this lens oftentimes. But this is who God has called us to be. Do we want to be this person? Yes? Okay, say yes. <laughs> I hope we do. <laughs> All right, this, this, there are some days and I'm just being honest, there are some days where I'm really good at this. And there are other days where I fail tremendously, like today. <laughs> and sometimes you have to go to the throne room and just say, God, I messed up big time, forgive me. And that's how you get reinstated. You just repent. You just repent. And he loves us and he forgives us. Um, this is a spiritual stronghold, though, that the devil wants to hold over our minds and our behaviors and keep us in defeat because he doesn't want us to thrive as the ecclesia. So I'm going to ask you to do what I did to the class on Sunday morning. So please stand up and put your hand on top of your head because you're going to pray for yourself. All right, you ready? You just repeat this after me. Stronghold over my mind. Be broken in Jesus' name. I declare that I will no longer be stuck in defeat and a defeat mentality. 
I receive the word of the Lord that says I will walk in authority to bind and loose. Teach me, Holy Spirit, to run with this. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Okay, so let's take a look at the first mention of the kingdom keys, and that is found in Isaiah 22, 22. And it says, I will place on his shoulders the keys, the key to the house of David. What he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. Jesus himself connects his ecclesia to this passage. He's quoting it. When you read this in context, it's kind of hard to understand what's going on. So we're going to take a closer look at it so that you can understand what's happening. I know I was a little confused at first. So in this passage, there are two chamberlains that are mentioned. One of them is Shebna, and the other one is Eliakim. So a chamberlain is the chief operating officer for a king and his kingdom. They're the highest ranking executive other than the king himself. So we're going to look at Isaiah 22, 15 through 19. And we're going to look at this passage. It says, this is what the Lord, the Lord Almighty says. Go, say to this steward, to Shebna, the palace administrator. What are you doing here, and who gave you authority or permission to cut out a grave for yourself here, hewning your grave on, on the height and chiseling your request, your resting place in the rock? Beware. The Lord is about to take firm hold of you and hurl you away, you mighty man. He will roll you up tightly like a ball and throw you into a large country. There you will die. And there the chariots that you were so proud of, God doesn't like pride, the chariots that you were so proud of will become a disgrace to your master's house. I will dispose of you from your office and you will be ousted from your position. This is what happens to people given leadership positions of countries that do not honor God and disgrace him by not respecting how he set things up. All right, the next verse, verses 20 through 25. In that day, I will summon my servant, Eliakim, son of Hilkah. I will clothe him with your robe and fasten your sash around him and hand your authority over to him. He will be a father to those who live in Jerusalem and to the people of Judah. And I will place on his shoulder the key to the house of David. What he opens, no one, this is our verse, no, what he opens, no one can shut, and what he shuts, no one can open. I will drive him like a peg into a firm place. He will become a seat of honor for the house of his father. All the glory of his family will hang on him. Its offspring and offshoots, all of its lesser vessels, from the bowls to all the jars. 
In that day, declares the Lord Almighty, the peg driven into the firm place will give way. It will be sheared off and will fall, and the load hanging on it will be cut down. The Lord has spoken. All right, so you may be wondering how is this verse relevant to what we're talking about in the book of Matthew? Well, I'm so glad you're wondering that because I'm going to help you figure it out. Okay, it seems like it's a different scenario altogether, but really there's lots of links. So Jesus himself linked this verse together with what he was saying. So if he thought it was important, we should look into it deeper. So Shebna is a picture of Satan, and Eliakim is a picture of Christ. And it's important to understand why Jesus pulled this statement from 700-year-old prophecy to this moment. So not only is a chamberlain the highest-ranking executive next to the king, he managed everything for the king. He carried the keys to the kingdom, literally. He had a hook sewn or a ring sewn into his shoulder of his robe, and the ring of keys were there dangling, could be up to a foot long, hanging from the chamberlain's shoulder. And these keys were a picture of authority, and it was said of the chamberlains that the government was upon their shoulder. That's what they said. So this is what was meant when the Holy Spirit prophesied in Isaiah 9, 6, for unto us a child is born, right? That our kingdom government would be upon the shoulders of Jesus. The chamberlain carried the keys to the king's house, his bedroom, his royal court, the judge's chambers, even the king's treasury. He was the doorkeeper, and he held the power to lock and unlock the doors. So now in Isaiah 22, the pictures, it pictures Satan and Christ and his kingdom. Shebna was a kingdom chamberlain who was rebellious and abused his authority. The prophecy said that his authority would be stripped from him and given to Eliakim. Eliakim would receive the keys and governing authority would then be carried on his shoulders. So now think about this. Jesus is in the royal lineage of David. This prophetic picture is being fulfilled perfectly. While Jesus didn't actually sit on the throne of David in the natural realm, he sat down at the throne at the right hand of God in heaven as the King of kings and Lord of lords. He did it after he stripped Lucifer of his authority and took back all the keys and even the keys of death, hell, and the grave. So, the government is upon our king's shoulders, and all authority has been given to him in heaven and on earth. That is the picture of what's going on in the prophecy of Isaiah. So now, this gets even cooler. Jesus knows that all of this is going to happen so Jesus is taking what actually happened in the past in Isaiah, which is a prophecy that is being fulfilled as he's standing right there. Jesus is in the middle of it. He's in Matthew. 
okay? But he's already declaring what will happen in the future, knowing that he will strip the keys from the enemy. Did you hear that? So when we are in the middle of a situation, we can prophesy to the future based on what God did in the past to declare and bind and loose and open and shut. Amen, amen. I'm excited about it. I hope you are. <laughs> so now, here we are in Matthew 16, 19. Jesus is taking his keys and giving them to his church, the ecclesia. It's like we are involved in a merger of Christ's spiritual kingdom and in the earth, in the earth and the heavenly kingdom in the spirit. And he puts us right there. Pentecost happened. And it was a powerful advancement in Acts chapter 2. And it catapulted them, spiritually speaking. <clears throat> the baptism of the Holy Spirit is powerful in our lives. And it is so necessary and it can't be optional. If we are going to be powerful for the kingdom of God, we really need the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He lives in us, yes, but he gives us the unction to do what is needed to do in those moments where we don't have it in ourselves. We just don't have it. We've got it from the Holy Spirit and Jesus. That's where it comes from. There is nothing in us that can do what Jesus did on earth, but it's him in us, right? We are going to experience a new era of Pentecost in our day. We will experience spiritual power and kingdom authority like never before. This is what we're moving into. And we even had a prophecy back in April given right down here about getting ready because God is about to ready to pour out a new anointing on this body in this place. Yes, he's doing it in the world, but he's going to do it here. It's so exciting. God's glory fills <clears throat> prepared places with his manifest presence. And we want to cultivate those prepared places in, within ourselves, speaking in tongues, preparing ourselves to be pure vessels for God to pour into. We need to be a prepared place so that when his glory pours out, our vessel is ready. And, we want, and he wants to do this with us. He, we, he wants this partnership. We want to connect with God's glory when it surges into the earth. And these will overpower the enemy's plans. We can't do this on our own. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. Remember when we were born again, our spirit comes alive. And we are, we are spirits with an earth suit on. And this is why Jesus came in the flesh. So it was the flesh, Adam, who lost the legal right of the spiritual realm. And then Jesus came in the flesh, as it was prophesied in Isaiah 9, 6, for unto us a child is born, and fulfilled it in Luke chapter 2, when Jesus, being fully God, was born 
into an earth suit. So he took back those keys that Adam lost and gained full authority. And he gave it back to the church. He gave it back to us. So he gave it to Adam. Adam lost it. He came, he got it back, and he gave it back to us. That's a weighty responsibility. We can't lose it. Our redeemed earth suit is the very thing that gives us the legal right now to permit and forbid the happenings in the earth. Now, now that we understand the process of how it became our responsibility to bind and loose and open and shut, now we need to find out what do we bind and loose and open and shut. So there are many keys to the kingdom. Binding and loosing is still like the master key. It is the master key. It's like the umbrella, and it unlocks many doors. And Christ delegated to the church to walk in authority. And how we use these keys are through binding and loosing and opening and shutting. So it's the master key. And that's your fill-in. Using binding and loosing and opening and shutting is the huge umbrella to unlock doors and will make them more effective. So the first place Jesus talks about these keys again after he mentions them in Matthew 16 is three chapters later in Matthew 18. This is right after he explains how to address another believer who sins against you and needs correction. That's when you go to the person yourself, you try to make amends. If that doesn't work, you bring someone with you. If that doesn't work, you go to the leadership. Okay, that's what Jesus just finished explaining. And then Matthew 18, 18. Um, actually, he doesn't use the word keys here, but he's quoting himself from chapter 16. And in Matthew 18, 18, he says, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. That came right after his instructions. He's teaching them now how to apply this. I like the way the Amplified says Matthew 18, 18. It says, I assure you and most solemnly say to you, whatever you bind, forbid, declare to be improper and unlawful on earth shall have already been bound in heaven, and whatever you loose, you permit, declare lawful on earth shall have already been loosed in heaven. We pray for so many things that we wait, God, wait for God to respond for when we really, when he's already given it to us. He's already told us what to do, and we're praying and asking God to do it, and he's already told us that's your responsibility. So he's not going to do what he already told us to do. He expects us to use our authority, and he has already given it to us. We don't need to beg him for it. We don't need to plead for it. He's already given it. We just have to use it. We have to use that key, put it in the door, put it in the lock, and turn it. He expects us to use that authority, and he's given us that master key. So how do we use it? Binding. Binding is to tie, fasten, 
fastened with chains, forbid, prohibit, declare to be illicit, defined in the Greek. That's how it's defined. We are forbidding it, prohibiting it from happening. When we bind, we remove it, and, and it does create a void. That void cannot remain. We must fill the void with something, and we fill it with God and what he says, or else that void will come and get filled by something else, or the same habit, or make it worse, or whatever. Okay, so we don't leave a void. Just remember that. That's important. Loosing is the opposite. We loose a person, a thing, from being tied or fastened or chained or, un or to unbind them, to set free, to dissolve, undo, to loosen. Those are all definitions from the Greek. So I'm going to make it really easy. If you see something that's not right, ungodly, demonic, or injustice happens, a violation to God's word, we have the right to bind it. It doesn't belong there. It's not what God wants. Once you have identified that it's not the will of God, we have that authority to now pray the opposite. We pray God's desire into the situation. <clears throat> so you've bound it. You've removed it. It's a void. We pray now into the situation what God wants. <clears throat> Excuse me. How do you know what God's desire is? It's really not that daunting. We just have to read our Bible and get to know him. We have to know his character. We need to know the fruit of the Spirit. We need to take notice of what he wants. Collect the scriptures, jot yourself notes as you read the Bible. Ooh, that's how God likes things done. Ooh, that's what he is. So take notes, and then you will hit the mark every time. Because when you, when you speak the word, you send it out, and it does not return void. And it is sharper than every two-edged sword. So we pray... When we pray, it would sound something like this. Let's say there's pride festering somewhere. So I bind pride in the name of Jesus, and then I loose the opposite. So I say, I loose humility. So when we pray, sometimes we need to do our research. We have to know what the opposite is. It's easy to spot the, the wrong thing, but we have to pray the opposite. So if we bind fear, we can lose perfect love. If we bind rebellion, we can, we can lose obedience and submission. You see what I'm doing here? If you don't know what the opposite is, ask your phone. Your phone knows the opposite of things. <laughs> Look it up in the Bible. Find the verse that goes with it and pray that scripture. Okay, this is real practical. Um, stuff here. So, um, <clears throat> now I want you to take notice that we are not loosing our own opinions or our own feelings. That is vital. We have no authority. What we desire is not what we loose. We're not trying to control people. That's witchcraft. We're not trying to control situations. 
If something is defiant against God, then it's our job to reverse it and speak God into the earth realm. Do we understand? This is not about control. This is about bringing the kingdom of God into the earth realm. If something is contradicting what God says, that's when we bind and loose. Okay. Um, Okay, I am skipping because time is running away. Um, Okay, so I'm going to talk to you about five areas that we can use the keys that we have authority in. And the first key he has delegated to the church to take care of is to rebuke the sin and carry out the church discipline. That's found in Matthew 18, 15 through 18. This is one of those things that contradict what God says. Now, this really makes us feel uncomfortable, especially in this day and age, because we're not supposed to contradict things. We're supposed to feel neutral. We're supposed to accept everything. But that's not the case in God's kingdom. And it's not the case in his church. And he's laid that out very clearly in the Bible. We are to carry out the responsibility to restore or discipline and profess Christian to a professing Christian who sins against another member in the church. We're supposed to correct that in love, not rudely, not in your face. We need to do it in love. Thank you, Jesus. He's helping us grow in that daily. Okay, so with this key, we are protecting God's reputation. That's why we do this. We're guarding the moral purity of his word and who he is and the doctrinal integrity of his church. How do we do this? It explains it in Matthew 18, 15 through 18. I'm going to ask you to write that down so you can read it yourself. We can do this in order to restore people to become more like Christ because we are the bride of Christ who is without spot or wrinkle and we cannot be walking around with sin in our lives and attached to us. We've got to become the bride who is spotless and this sin has to be dealt with and it's dealt with by repentance. Okay, the second key Um, This is where Jesus talks about praying effectively for God's kingdom on the earth. Matthew 18, 19 through 20. I also tell you this, if two of you agree on earth concerning anything you ask my Father in heaven, we'll do it for you for where two or three are gathered together as my followers, I am there among you. Learning to pray effectively is the key that Jesus has delegated to his church. Just telling God what's happening in a situation is not effectively praying. It's just basically worrying. So you, you can worry, you can do that, but it's no benefit to you. In fact, it's actually damaging to you. So 
Jim talked about that last week, so I'm not going to get into all that. But really, anyone can learn to pray effectively so that your prayers produce re results. And we want to pray God's solution in situations, not pray the worry, okay? All right, the third key is found in Matthew 17, 14 through 21. I'm not going to read all of that for the sake of time. But it's our job to tie up the demonic and set the captives free. That's a responsibility God gave us. We don't need to go hunt for things. We don't need to do that. But when we come across demonic situations, we just say, no, this is not happening on my watch. We walk in the authority of God and we will use that authority in those situations. Jesus is demonstrating what he's just said in chapter 16 by binding and loosening, loosen, loosing and opening and closing. And we come upon this situation where Jesus, Peter, James, and John have this epic experience on the mountaintop with God where Jesus is transfigured. They come down the mountain and they find that there's a crowd and the disciples are trying to deliver a boy that's demon-possessed and they couldn't do it. So Jesus takes care of that situation lickety-split. The boy is set free. And Jesus takes this moment to teach a life lesson. And he says, this part... This key is part of who we are as believers. Do not let the devil intimidate you. He tries really hard, and sometimes we listen. We can't listen. We have to know who we are in Christ. So Jesus' parting words were, these signs, this is in Mark 16, 17 through 18, these signs will accompany those who believe. And these signs, these signs, in my name, they will cast out demons. They will speak new tongues. Oh, this is really necessary. This, he mentions it before he leaves. They will speak new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands. They will drink deadly poison. They and it will not hurt you. They will lay their hands on the sick and they will recover. I have to speak another clarification. We don't deliberately pick up serpents. We don't deliberately drink poison. That's just not smart. Okay, if a situation should come, like when Paul picked up the serpent mistakenly, then... He did not die from that viper. And it ended up being a whole testimony to the entire island. God used it as a miracle. People were saved. People were sick, uh, sick and they were healed. And, it, and he turned it around, okay? We don't need to go test God in that. That's the clarification. So in this situation where Jesus delivered this boy, he's teaching the life lesson. And now, Matthew 17, 20, it says, I tell you the truth, if you have faith even as small as a mustard seed, you can say to these mountains, move from here to there, and it would move, nothing would be impossible. Notice that Jesus didn't condemn them for having little faith. 
he points it out, and then he teaches them how to grow it. So, Jane's going to talk about decreeing next week. Don't miss it. It's going to be really good. Um, okay, so, um, let's see. Jesus is delegating his authority once again. We make decrees for God. We make not petitions to God when we're binding and loosing. He has already told us what we can do. We need provision. Then we do. We request. We petition. But when we're dealing with the powers of darkness, that is when we make commands and decrees. It's our authority. And that's something Diane will talk about in two weeks. Okay, the fourth key. <clears throat> to announce the guilt of sin, God's standards of righteousness, and the judgment to come. We cannot shy away from this. People who are not saved don't know any better. We have to understand that. They don't know any better. But people who walked away from God do know better but they need to be reminded of God's standards. Peter preached this on the day of Pentecost and he told the people outright, this is what you did, you crucified the Son of God. And he, told, he, he was not shy in it at all. He was boldly proclaim, proclaiming what they did. Of course, they didn't like it. Of course, they wouldn't like it, but he boldly proclaimed it. And their response was, oh no, what do I do now? And he said, repent and be baptized. And repentance always leads us back to Jesus. Okay, um, the fifth key. To proclaim salvation and the forgiveness of sin for all who repent and believe in Christ. We don't just call the sin out, but we bring them to salvation in love. And John 20, 21 through 23 says, Jesus appeared to the disciples behind locked doors, and Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them receive the Holy Spirit and he said if you forgive anyone's sins their sins are forgiven if you do not forgive them they are not forgiven and his breath of the Holy Spirit was infusing them with the regeneration presence of the Holy Spirit with new life and the risen Christ at this time okay um, all right, I'm just going to quickly review. We're going to wrap up. So the keys of the kingdom are not a new concept about opening and closing, binding and loosing that Jesus brings up in Matthew. We saw that it came from Isaiah 22, 22, where the keys of the house of, the, of David were on his shoulder. When he opens, no one will shut. And when he shuts, no one will open. Jesus pulled that prophecy into his realm. Jesus was the key of the government. He had the key. It was on his shoulders. And then in Matthew 16, after building his church, Jesus says in verse 19, he gives the keys to us. Okay? We have that government. 
authority in the earth today. Okay. Looking at all of this authority, I do have to say we have to steward this well. Okay, I don't want to just end this without pointing this out. We must be good stewards. We have not been given some superpower that we can go abuse, and whatever I say goes. That is the wrong attitude. Over it all, we must recognize that he rewards those who give themselves completely to him. And even though he has given us this promise, we recognize that he doesn't work for us. We work for him. And he doesn't show up on our timing. He shows up on his. Okay? There is something really powerful about yielding to the sovereignty of God, knowing that his goodness will more than make up for anything that we are. Even if what we are praying for it might be so confusing and it doesn't seem to be headed in any kind of redemption direction, we can be confident of his goodness and yielding to his goodness. Okay, so in this decade of the mouth, that we're in the decade of the mouth where we declare and we open our mouth and we allow things and we don't allow things, we're praying for God to bring a movement filled with his power and demonstration. Okay, so your last page in your, in your paper and then we're going to end. We're going to, please stand with me, we're going to pray this prayer together. And I, I got this prayer from Get Greg Hood. Um, he's a prophetic uh, teacher and speaker and book writer, author, I guess is the proper word. <laughs> I'm trying to hurry and I'm not thinking. Okay, <clears throat> so let's pray this together. Heavenly Father, I know that I am the church. I am the ecclesia. I am the manifestation of the goodness of God in the earth. Jesus lives in me, flows through me, speaks through me, and manifests Father's will through me. Therefore, today, as his ecclesia, we decree that the spirit of religion and the principality of religion be broken off of the church in Jesus' name. We will not be sheep led to a slaughter. We are lions sitting in the gate. We decree today that the church is arising and manifesting what Father has in his heart for us to be. We are taking our seat at the gates of our cities. We are taking our seat to be the voice of heaven in a dark world. We declare today that the dark kingdoms of this world are becoming the kingdoms of light. We are transferring the title deed to the kingdom of God. We decree as the ecclesia that this ground and this city of Tom's River and this county of Ocean County and this whole region and the whole United States
United States is holy ground, his kingdom ground, and all who walk upon it must submit now to God, to the authority of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We decree today, your kingdom come in the earth as it is in heaven. We decree the will of God to be done here on earth in this region and in this nation. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, now, real quick, we are the governing body of heaven. The ecclesia is supposed to legislate for the kingdom of God. So now that we have made those decrees, we put them out into the atmosphere, and we're going to vote on it. Okay? We're going to legislate right now. So if you are in agreement with all of those decrees, and, and this were, that, that were spoken over this situation, I want you to say, I agree. If you do not agree, I want you to say, I do not agree. So the agrees have it. <laughs> and so we declare that it carries from this earth region into heaven, and we call heaven into earth in Jesus' name. Let's give the Lord glory for what he will do in our region. Amen. Let's thank him. Thank you, Father, for what you are going to do. We praise you, Father. Thank you, Jesus, that you have great and mighty things planned for this place, for in our lives, in this territory. We love you, God, and we agree with you. In Jesus' name, amen.